Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host this week, Pagan. How you doing, Pagan? I am doing well, thank you. How are you? Phenomenal. Tonight, we are sitting down with John E. L. Tenney. Tenney has been an amazing influence to Pagan and I in the paranormal community. We first ran into him during the New Kirk's 2020 Phenomenicon. Uh, John, welcome to the show. I'll do more setting up for you as the time goes on, but you're someone that just has a a, a huge repertoire in the community from authoring books, hosting blogs, being on things like Kindred Spirits. I mean, this conversation could go in any direction. So welcome to the show. (laughs) So glad to have you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So, John, we've uh, given you just a little bit of a setup for folks out there, but I, uh, so many of our listeners surely follow you already. If, if you're not, we'll have the links and all that. You can click on it below. But uh, you and I recently connected over the idea of ESP work because Pagan and I had been we've been toying around with some virtual seances and I had picked up an EEG machine off of Amazon. Those are becoming Mm. semi-affordable. And you had mentioned that you had some experience with that in the past. So I thought we could really dive in to the deep end of the weird at the start and maybe talk (laughs) about your uh, history with that, what you might have tried, and what really got you into exploring the psychic side of this phenomena. Sure. So when I first really got involved in researching weirdness and strangeness it was back in the i did my first professional weird lecture in 1990 so it was a while ago now it's strange to think that 30 plus years talking about this strange stuff but i love it and uh but one of the things that i wanted to do is i had had a near-death experience the year before i had died i had a heart attack when i was 18 and uh, the experience that i had really wanted it, it, it created within me this challenge to challenge my thinking. So one of the first things I did when I started really reading and researching ghosts and ESP and psychic phenomena was how does my brain work? So I cultivated a group of friends that I was in college at the time who were going to school for neurobiology or neuropsychology and psychologists and psychiatrists. And I joined the American um, Society for Magicians, SAM. Uh, the International Brotherhood of Magicians. I wanted to know how my brain could be fooled in those ways. I started signing up for college experiments where I did a sleep deprivation experiment where I, I, I did 36 hours with, with no micro sleeps. Uh, I, I did flotation tank experiments on the Wayne State campus starting at 20 minutes and going up to, I think, 17 hours was the longest I did in a float tank Wow! Um, to see how my brain could work and what could happen. And I, I just have really been drawn to the idea that, you know, minds somehow seem to be entangled with strangeness. And I don't think you can untangle it. I think that you know, ESP is is one of those tentacles that you can explore, but it leads to much larger octopus. Oh, uh, first of all, 17 hours. Was that a full sensory deprivation sort of tank that you were in there? The float tank? Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, uh, oh. full sensory deprivation. And the weirdest thing that happened to me in the float tank was I was obviously I don't know exactly. I, I'm sure I could have asked someone <clears throat> 
because it was a college experiment. So I, I was being monitored, my heart and everything was being monitored and recorded. But at one point in that float, I started thinking about my cat and I thought to myself, oh, I didn't feed my cat. And then an indiscernible, excuse me, I have something in my throat. <clears throat> an indiscernible amount of time later, I thought to myself, oh, John didn't feed me. And then I realized that I was looking at my house, but from a very low angle. And then I thought, oh, wait, I'm John. And then I popped back into the tank. So it really seemed like I had entangled my brain with my cat. It was very strange. <laughs> That's fascinating. I've, I've heard the idea that people's pets are you know, it's sensing when they leave work, when they're on their way home, and that's where you see potentially mm -hmm. some of that predictive behavior. But to actually step away from your own self and put yourself in your, your cat's mind is is extremely kind of next level. I haven't heard that before. Well, I don't, I mean, you just mentioned uh, the work of Rupert Sheldrake, who uh, studies morphic resonance and how life can be maybe intertangled by fields. And if, if your listeners have never read or know anything about Rupert, they should. Um, he does really amazing work on, uh, you know, some of his, he's a biologist. And so some of it is kind of dry, but it's interesting. Uh, he, he studied, you know, if dogs knew when their owners were coming home. And he wrote a book called Do Dogs Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home? Like, it's, <laughs> it's the ideas are super creative, if not put out uh, exactly in a most creative fashion. But he did, it did seem to prove that dogs and cats uh, have this psychic connection to their owners. Cats, it's funny, he said, don't seem to be less psychic. They just seem to care less about the experiment. <laughs> Of course, of course, they don't care. <laughs> I, I I'm in love with that, and and I I do I, I guess I'm this is the stuff I'm learning. These are the names that I was not aware of uh, a year or so ago. I mean, even now you're you're teaching me where these experiments are coming from. But as someone that's just stepping into the paranormal in a an active way in this last year. It's been so interesting. I mean, Pagan and I literally just started the podcast um, July 16th or so of 2020. So we're yes. just sitting a year now. And we've gone at this from the total outsider perspective of only seeing what's presented on TV through Discovery Channel or whatever the History Channel's mocking up. And then getting to sit down or talk with so many people that have these firsthand experiences just sets it all on its own to me. Um, you don't get these ESP experiments so much on television. And uh, I guess I just want to say I'm so thankful for, for people like you that are so studied in it and are bringing mm -hmm. it back to this newer group of people that I'm throwing myself in there. Well, it's, it's, it's hard because, especially with television, because I, I have, I have lots of non-disclosure agreements with networks, but I will always break them because I, I think that people need to hear truth and what really happens. And television is great to get people interested in strangeness, but it is very skewed in the sense that, you know, I've had producers tell me, 
we can't let you we can't let people be very smart on camera because when you put smart people on television it makes the viewers feel dumb when you put dumb people on television it makes the viewers feel smart and that's what we want and so when you're doing a paranormal show there is very often the the what happens is that i don't know what is going on with my throat tonight <clears throat> sorry you are fine it's all good so when you're working on television, you suggest all the time really deep, weird experiments. But the producers, if they don't understand it, they're not going to show it on television. And that's why paranormal reality shows have a format. That's why they look the way they do. On an episode of Kindred Spirits a couple of years ago, I brought up a, the concept that the, the entity that might be in the location is an aggregor or a thought form. Mm-hmm. Now, now Paranormal shows have been on. What was that? I remember that episode. Yeah. So paranormal shows have been on now for 20 years. I mean, and there have been literally thousands of paranormal shows on television. This was the first time in 20 years anybody ever said a thought form or an aggregor on television, on a major television show. So just that idea, like now being transmitted out, like that was a big deal. Or when I was on the show Ghost Stalkers in in 2014 or 2015, I had a discussion about the Psychical Research Society in the 1800s in England. And we showed some pictures of William James and uh, Gurney and Myers and Sidgwick and all of the founders of psychical research back in the 1800s. And that was the first time they had ever been talked about on a major television show. And that's insane because they were ghost hunters in the 1800s. And in... 15 years no one had ever brought them up like it's really strange what what gets filtered out mm-hmm. absolutely um michelle belanger has mentioned to us uh, a couple times speaking to that same point you just said that what gets shown in so many of the shows focus on the, the hyper side of it whatever it is amping up the bad 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 and so anytime we get a fresh voice on there it's it's very reassuring or just uh, opening of the mind to, to folks like Pagan and I, because we're always looking for a new avenue to explore. We think that's some of the most fun part is is asking the questions that aren't already being asked. So that really stood out through a couple of the, the different things that you've been a part of. Um, for those that are out there listening, you need to check out Ten- Tenny's Realm of the Weird. That's a fantastic yes. podcast series that you did it's a couple so years good. ago. <laughs> You're on What's Up Weirdo these days, too, talking all the time with Jessica. So that's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> I listen to that all the time and just howl laughing. Well, thank you. It's a, it's such a departure to, I mean, it's so strange to put a podcast together where you don't really edit it and you kind of want it to sound shitty like a phone call because it's a phone call. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And just letting people have that voyeuristic creep quality that we all kind of have. <laughs> but what you were saying this voice thing is driving me nuts. <clears throat> what you were saying, um, you know, it's strange because I think it was 2009, I was working on Paranormal State, and I suggested that one person research in a library, one person research in the house, and we should have monitors on them for their heart rate, blood pressure, 
um, just to see if while they were investigating, if you would could, could get correlations. And that was a mind blowing thing for them to do, too. They were like, well, how are we going to do this? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's do it. Let's buy blood pressure cups. I mean, now you can go on Amazon and buy blood pressure cups and mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, oximeters for, you know, pennies. But back then it was a big deal. And and we actually found correlations. Uh, one of the big things that happened was the person in the house, their blood pressure started to go up. And when you looked at the data, it was right at the moment that the group in the library discovered the name of the person who had lived in the house. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Like, I don't know if that was the entity or if the group themselves, if their minds were entangled because the group got excited when they found the name and then the group in a separate location, their blood pressure goes up. That. That fascinates me. I, I so I've been got on this huge deep dive, starting to to learn the work of Bob Monroe with the Monroe Institute, and kind of going down the the Russell Targ route of SRI and all, all of that. So hearing those kind of correlations, like you just mentioned, sounds to be very much in line with some of the work they were talking about in saying. It, uh, there's potentially even alpha wave relations between people like sending and receiving a message and sure. heart rate as well. I, I, I'm just fascinated. Like you said, it's so easy to study these days. I, I wish more people were picking those up. Yeah. And you know, I talk a lot about nature in my lectures because like that is something that I think people forget, like just ob- observing nature will give you insight mm-hmm. into things. And again, if you read stuff by Rupert Sheldrake, his ideas of morphic resonance were kind of kicked off by looking at schools of fish and flocks of birds because they move in what looks like an energetic pattern when they swim and they don't bump into each other. And Mm -hmm. yet supposedly biologically their brains don't have the processing power to keep track of the birds around them or the fish around them, but somehow they miss each other and they form these giant exotic patterns and Sheldrake was thinking about that one day and he looked down, he was in a like, you know, a 15 story building and he looked down and he looked at the mass of people walking on the sidewalks and everybody was walking through each other and no one was bumping into each other. And he was saying like, maybe there is a field that is around us, around all living things that interacts and connects us to larger fields. And perhaps that's one of the reasons or one of the aspects of psychic phenomena. Ooh. Wow. That, like, I, it's so funny when we talk about these things because, you know, you think, okay, everybody has an aura. Everybody has their psychic bubble that's around them. But when you start putting it in perspective like that, it brings it out of the kind of realm of weird to the realm of, yes, it's possible. And that's just super fascinating. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden it becomes something that you, that we all recognize and see, but we've just become so accustomed. I tell this to people all the time, you know, weirdness happens all the time, but it happens so frequently. We've forgotten that it's weird. We've forgotten that it's strange and that no one knows why it works. There's really no good reason why you walk into a restaurant and within a fraction of a second, there's a feeling inside of you that's like, this place sucks. And or or this place is great. And you're usually right in that fraction of a second. It's so true. I mean, that that's that's absolutely I 
I'm so you meet someone and say this person sucks. Like immediately you meet someone, you're like, this is a terrible person. Yeah. I'm never going to be friends with this person. And you're usually right. They're usually a terrible person. That's very interesting to think about because it's so true because, you know, like as somebody who is neurodivergent and all that, like I'm very much now starting to see that there's a lot more intuitiveness that comes with neurodivergency that you do see one of those things where you you walk into a room and you're like, hmm, that person, there's something shady about them and I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but I don't <laughs> like it. So I'm going to go to the other side of the room. And it's like, okay, well, this person over here, they'll tell you your entire life, their entire life story. As soon as you sit down, you're like, I don't even know you. Why are you talking to me? What's going on? And it's so cool to see these kind of interesting things. So when you put that in that whole psychic field slash bubble that's around everybody, it makes you really kind of question, is everybody else's psychic bubble? Is there kind of like the negatives and positives that happen in almost like biology and science and chemistry that's like, okay, this repels this, but this attracts this and, right. and, if, and in if the psychic si fields. Yeah, for sure. And if, if scientists actually were interested in, in these type of things, which I have never understood why they're not like super interested in it and that they just brush it off, like saying ESP and psychic powers, if you believe that we are just, only material involved evolved beings if we are just matter that evolved into highly intelligent animals or what people say are highly intelligent animals i don't think humans are all that smart <laughs> but but one of the aspects of evolution would be that we evolved from the tiny animals that didn't get caught by large predators and tiny animals that knew they were being looked at or hunted instinctively Mm -hmm. survive and so esp might be an evolved trait of predator prey where the tiny little mouse knew it was being looked at from a, a hawk in the air for some reason and since we evolved from the, those creatures that survived we still have that when you're sitting on a bus and someone stares at the back of your head and you turn around and lock eyes when you're sitting in a movie theater and you can tell the people behind you are looking at you like there's a psychic component that might just be an evolved trait and no one wants to study it. Mm hmm. I feel that so strongly. I was taking mm -hmm. the uh, public transit for a couple years here recently would notice that all the time about the staring. I mean, we talk about it loosely in society, but when you sit there knowing what people talk about skeptically and you can almost repeatedly prove it it brings it to the forefront of why aren't we studying this this like you said seems like a very sensible trait uh but every well i guess pagan and i recently realized or, or were made aware that there's some groups out there that do lobby to keep some of this information uh unfunded and <laughs> that we we heard through some books by russell targ but i it's just so sad to see such a good lane of research get uh totally ignored when it has very practical applications. I mean, from the aspect of investigating ghosts, one of the things that I often say at my lectures is let's assume a few hundred thousand years ago, there were like three cave people standing around a cave and they were aware that they were cave people. They had formed the basis of personality or consciousness or whatever. Um, the first time one of those three 
died and fell down on the ground. The other two should have said, what the hell just happened to him or her? Uh, Where did they go? Is that going to happen to me? And then the study of ghosts and, and what happens when you die and after death should have been sparked in that moment and should still be flourishing right now. But it seems like the cave people were like, well, let's bury him in the ground like a seed and hope he grows again. And here we are. And here we are 200,000 years later, digging holes in the ground and putting people in it. Oh my gosh. That's such a wonderful analogy that they're just going to pop out of the snow like daisies. I love it. Um, <laughs> the flowers, that flowers do that. They go away in the winter and then they come back. Maybe he will. Right. Too. I mean, it, it would be a logical thing to think about, you know, I suppose for a, a caveman, I, I cave guess, people, but yes. <laughs> cave people, I guess, but yeah, it ultimately it's definitely, I feel like we're still behind in the times when it comes to paranormal or exploring life after death or exploring the unexplained. Um, Partially, I think that that has to do with people just don't want to talk about what's spooky, but at the same time, we all have a morbid fascination with it. So I, I don't know. It's a really interesting thing to kind of think about when it comes to, all of us saying, okay, I, I want to know what happens when we die, but I also don't want to know what happens when we die because it's going to happen to me and I'm terrified of it. Sure. And and I completely understand that I'm human. So I have that for all of us, I think, do have a tiny portion of our brain that is always pulling at us, telling us we're going to die. But I have conversations with ghost hunting groups all the time and, and I have a lot of spooky friends. So... I often point out that even though the websites are filled with uh, gifts of bloody bats and horrible fonts and green glowing ghosts and, and cemeteries and their T-shirts are filled with skulls and everybody's paranormal group is named something spooky, it's always twisted my mind a little bit because we're not really interested in death. We're interested in more life, which mm-hmm. is which is positive. Um, we know that death is a real thing. It's going to happen. That's like the known part. And that's the scary part. The unscary part is the exploration of more existence after death. Mm -hmm. That is an interesting point, because that's, I want to say where Pagan and I have very much diverged from the... uh, dare I say, stereotypical, you know, the screaming at ghosts sort of ghost investigations that tend to take over the media. Um, that, again, through through folks like yourself, the Newkirks, um, and many others, we've been trying to ask more questions when we investigate, uh, just to get an idea of even what we're talking to, whether it's through the Estes method, using the spirit mm-hmm. box, or, or whatever it means, divination, tarot cards, trying to ask some questions to get an idea. So maybe I could ask this now, John, do you have, is there something you'd like to see more of the ghost investigating teams doing that they're they're not? I mean, there's a lot, but is there something in particular? I mean, I I have always tried to advance the cause of asking better questions when people are doing investigations. Uh, if you're going into a location where, uh, the, the history is a little girl died in a fire back in 1801 and her name was, you know, Jennifer or whatever. Uh, the question, what is your name is really unimportant. 
Mm-hmm. You, you already know the person's name. If that's mm-hmm. who you're, if that's the person you're looking for. Uh, I've always, I ask questions like, can you tell me how you see? Can you tell me what you're seeing right now? Can you smell something right now? How do you touch things? Because I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. how they would see without eyes. At least, you know, the only way that I understand vision is as a human being. I have two eyeballs that are connected to optic nerves that go back to a visual location center in my brain and processes the information. But if I don't have eyes, how am I seeing? I feel like I got a phrase uh, from you before asking if ghosts have underwear. Do they do they (laughs) manifest down to their underwear? And that is stuck with me. It's it's silly questions, but it's it's they the reason I ask silly questions is because people first of all it's easy for people to remember the silly question, but then hopefully I, I always say I'm throwing out thought seeds, but hopefully then people start to deep dive the silly question, like if if is a ghost only manifesting its clo- its outer clothing that you can see because. If they are, that's strange for them to not be actually putting on clothes, but just manifesting the top layer of clothes. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're manifesting clothes we can't see, then they're expending extra energy to manifest underpants, which we won't see anyway, but they're doing it just for themselves. So that shows something about their personality. And then how much can they manifest in their clothing? When people see a Civil War soldier, I mean... Are they manifesting the stitching on the coat? Are they manifesting the imprinted brass buttons on the coat? Are they manifesting the the weaving on on the cuffs of of the coat? And how would they do that? And is it the same coat every time? Is it the same dress every time? Or do they have to create it from what's left of their memory? And if they have enough memory to manifest clothing, why don't they have enough cognitive skills to know where they're at or that they're dead? Uh, it's the million dollar question in my mind right now. <laughs> that's that's the realm of of weird that I want to be following myself. That's mm-hmm. those are the sort of questions that really perplex me, uh, and why I say I'm thankful that you are are shedding these these new ways of thinking into the community because. I am I am tired of just asking, you know, what's a spirit's name? What do you do? What's your loop that you go through? But like you said, to see or to be asking, what do you see? How do you interact with the world around us? Uh, and maybe tr- and like you said, trying to further the cause in that way. That's I, I think that's very admirable. I honestly do. years, years and years ago. This is going back probably two decades I was doing uh, an EVP session. I had a location here in Detroit that I had access to. So I would spend hours by myself in this location using various recording devices, various microphones, different means of recording. Uh, and there seemed to be a an entity that I, that I communicated with fairly frequently. But there was one point where I asked the question, uh, are you alone and the response I got was no. And when I when I pressed on that response, I said, well, who is with you? And the response was everyone. And it had that the way I said it, it had almost like I, I didn't understand that, of course, everyone is there with them. Like that's the place where everyone is. And that I pressed on that question and said, everyone in the world 
And the response was everyone from the world. And it was worlds plural. And then I started thinking, oh shit, like when aliens die, do they go to that same place too? Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know about Kyle, but my brain just kind of exploded a little bit because I've never thought about that. Like there's this afterlife that's populated, not just with everyone on earth that's ever died, but everyone in the universe or the cosmos that's ever died. Like that blew my mind. And and that's, I think, so that was in the, probably in the mid nineties. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm off to the races. Like, this is the weirdness I want. This is, this is exactly what I want. I don't want ghosts. I mean, for, of course, there's a part of me that wants a ghost to be like a spooky person walking around in a house that's easily understandable. But the real part of my brain is like, all right, I want extraterrestrial ghosts. Yeah. That's like, let, let's, <laughs> let's go. Uh, 100%. I mean, and, and from what I'm seeing, hearing all, all of this, it's it seems so easy to access that realm. I mean, we Peggy and I have had great success already just in our first three experiences with the spirit box and Estes method. And that's something, again, a year ago, I, I would never have thought was possible. It just seems so out of the realm of accessibility for folks. Uh, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, too. It, do you think that folks, I mean, this seems like something people can take control of in their own life, that you can go out and just start asking these questions. Mm -hmm. Is there an area or a route maybe you think they would start with this? I mean, this is going beyond the traditional ghost hunting kit. I mean, I, I really believe that you don't need anything to go ghost hunting. Like, you need yourself. That's it. Because your best photograph and your best recording is just a photograph and a recording. It's not going to prove anything to anyone. You know, you're, you, you might accumulate some data, but as a single group or individual, you're never going to collect enough data to, to impact everyone into your belief system. And I don't even know if I would ever want people to yeah. be involved in my belief system, which I is tenuous at best. I mean, it's always changing. Um, I tell people, you know, Set your sight on having an experience, not for yourself, not for anyone else. Uh, go to a spooky location and sit by yourself for a few hours and try to communicate with something that might be there. Go walk around a forest and knock on wood and try and call out for Bigfoot or Fay folk or or just, just have an, a weird experience. I think that sometimes, so years and years ago, I don't necessarily agree with Hans Holzer, the kind of father of ghost hunting. Mm -hmm. But again, decades ago, 30 plus years ago, I was talking to him and I had a tape recorder and my flashlight and all that stuff with me. And he said, what are you doing with all of that? And I said, I'm trying to catch ghosts. You know, I was 19 at the time and he laughed and he said, at some point in your life, you're going to throw all that shit away and have an experience. And that really impact that really impacted me from that point forward. And I realized, yeah, my body is attuned to strangeness. Uh, like we were saying earlier, when I walk into a room, I, I get a we, we all talk about getting vibes mm -hmm. and and we just toss that off. And, and even skeptics will say I had I got a weird feeling when I went in that place. And they just throw that away as if it doesn't mean anything. It does mean something. It's an experience for you. I, I that's incredible. Yeah, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. I think that's what's interested me uh, most recently is that up until just a month ago, I don't think I really owned ghost 
hunting equipment in air quotes the traditional means i want i have so much and it's sitting in a box up in my upstairs yeah so if that 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 that's that speaks to me i just i I think that's where it's at is the communication within your own self uh exploring and, and trying to like you were saying when we very first started back to the experiments you were doing in college the studies it's it's a part of exploring your mind and that learning about myself in the process is i think what catches my interest the most yeah and and just thinking about so like you guys doing spirit box and estes method like just i always think to myself too like when i'm doing an estes session or a, a spirit box session when i'm doing those i'm always thinking to myself too like what is like another thing i could do that would push this a little further mm-hmm. I was with mm-hmm. some people, I was with some people, uh, about a week and a half ago and I was, I had looked through all the footage of people doing Estes and, you know, Greg, and you've probably heard Greg and Dana obviously talk about it and I talk about it too and, and Carl and Connor, but it seems to be almost channeling. Yeah. And so I was with these people and they were like, let's do an Estes session. And I said, Let's do an Estes session, but let's do it as a seance. Let's all sit around a table. We'll put one person under. We'll all hold hands. We'll act as the receivers. We'll be the antenna. Instead of having the person separated from us, Mm -hmm. make the person part of the group and see if we can get some interaction that way. And it worked like gangbusters. It was crazy. Like, And I don't know if it's because they were reading – our minds or if we were acting as a, as a larger quote unquote antenna for whatever was being channeled into the one person, but it was fairly overwhelming. Wow. That's exactly it. That's, that's what I'm interested in is pushing that same boundary. We just recently were, were told quote by whatever we were channeling at the time that said we needed to make some sort of energy lens to help focus communication so when you talk Mm -hmm. about having a group of people around a table that's one of the first things to come to mind is you created an amplifier and that is just fascinating to me so you said the results in that case were almost overwhelming was it did you speak i mean i don't mean to pry and maybe you can't tell us about this but did was it multiple entities you think coming through um so i i I, would i What I'll tell you is um, the first thing that, I mean, I've done a lot of Estes sessions too. And the the first thing I'll tell you is that when we did it in that manner, usually sometimes you will see people who are under, who have the the blinders on and and are wearing the headphones. Sometimes you'll see them go through emotional states um, when when they're transmitting information. Mm -hmm. And when that was happening to the person in this case, it was happening to us as well. Uh, like our emotional states were changing. It was almost like they were transmitting that part of the information to us as well. And of course, since we were starting to feel what the channel, for lack of a better word, was feeling, that helped to shape our questions. Because when I started to feel uncomfortable, I knew to ask, does that make you feel uncomfortable? Because I was feeling that way. And then so then you get a response that, yes, from the person, I feel uncomfortable. Like, then you know, okay, so this does mean something. And at that time, what I thought, again, just from the little I can tell you, the first 
entity or spirit or ghost that started coming through was like, oh, this is weird. This is a weird way to talk. And I was like, yeah, just get used to it and figure it out. And that entity vanished. And another one popped in and was like, no, we're not doing this. And the whole dynamic changed for the entire group. And it was really, really crazy because I also personally have this idea of guardians and gatekeepers of the of the afterlife who for some reason, one of the continuing thoughts that I have in my head a lot over the, the past few decades is that one of the reasons maybe we don't know about the afterlife is because there are kind of guards mm-hmm. who keep us from knowing. Because if we did if we did know what happened when we died, what's the point of this life? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they do things like they're somewhat tricksterish. They will lie or guard <laughs> or block off information from us. Uh, they'll give us interesting clues and and keep us on the search but you know never outright give us the information we need knowing that we will get it eventually when we die um and that this instance it really seemed like a a a gatekeeper or a guardian stepped in was like you're not doing this like you're not going to get any more information you're going to stop right now that's so fascinating and that really makes us think me think back to our second seance that we did and we had a whole lot of trickster energy that really interfered with all of the questioning that we were trying to do so that's really kind of cool and now i kind of want to go chase that (laughs) well the other thing is too is i always tell people at my lectures and stuff um i had a really long discussion once with carl pfeiffer on a on a on a drive for four or five hours through Michigan. And I was explaining to him like my underlying concept. I think this was even before the second part of Hellier came out, but I was kind of talking to him about how I look at supernatural, paranormal, occult phenomena. I look at it like a game. And when I say game, the human response is usually, well, I want to win the game. But that's not what I mean by game. I mean, it wants to play. It wants to play a game. When you're a little kid and parents or an adult tells you to go outside and play, they don't give you rules. They don't tell you to win. They don't tell you to lose. They just tell you to play. And you go outside and you play and you spin around in a circle. You run real fast. You uh, talk to bugs on the ground. You (laughs) climb a tree. There's no rules and no one wins, but you have fun. And I think that's the way that I wished people approached strangeness and weirdness and and supernatural and paranormal, the phenomenon, whatever you want to call it. I I wish that people would just get tapped on the shoulder by the cosmos and the cosmos says like, but play. And you just play without wanting to win. That's big. That's big. You very much as an active member of Twitter, uh, we've seen the, the, kind of angst if you will i don't know if that's the best word for it but there's been a lot of drama over there um because ufo twitter in particular seems to take the (laughs) issues so seriously and when you toss memes tweets just general banter (laughs) back at them it just is so over their heads at times that it just blows their minds and i love it i think it was just yesterday you posted um the different pictures of ufos like the florp and the blop and i'm I'm getting them (laughs) wrong but someone responded like you are not helping john and i just went i face palmed irl with the phone (laughs) so That's the thing, too. Like, part of playing with the cosmos and with the phenomena and with supernatural phenomena, whatever you want to call it, part of playing is having fun. Yes. 
And I think a lot of people are, have missed that part. And it's, it can be, it can be really unfun. I mean, I struggle with belief systems because I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want my thoughts to be stagnant. And I feel like when you form a belief that is, those are concrete shoes that are very hard to get away from. And I want people to have fun. I want people to not take it so seriously. I, I have posted a meme before. I think, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it says like, you can be serious about crystals and aliens and Bigfoot, but don't forget to have fun because basically it's magic rocks and monsters and UFOs. Yeah. Like it's silly. It's inherently silly. And to to let it overwhelm your life to where you're screaming at strangers or, or telling them they're horrible people or they're not helping because it doesn't fit with your current belief system is, I, I think, a long and kind of dark road. Yeah, when you say it like that, absolutely. That that seems like the path to absolutism and, and black and white coloring of the world. If you are not part of my belief structure, it soon turns into there's no room for you to be around it at all. And I... I mm -hmm. We were talking to AP Strange just last week and, and thanking him as just one of the many people that called out um, a lot of the misogyny that was going on over there. And by no means is it done, but I feel like that's uh, very strongly intertwined, those two ideas coming to the forefront. That, that this is, you know, a gatekeep, a gatekept community, no time for play or fun. And that just ruins the whole spirit of it. And I, I personally feel that's what will stop us or those folks from making kind of meaningful contact is when you take all the fun out of it. Well, I can tell you again, I don't have any secrets, but I, you know, I get contacted fairly often to be involved with this show or that show or, or this special that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And in the past, I don't even know, three years, I know that this doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't care about being famous. I want I want to be smart and I want other people to be smart and I want us to all be smart together. And so when I get contacted, I have been writing for, I don't know, two years now, two and a half years. You don't need another 50 year old white guy on this show. Mm -hmm. Like you, you just don't like, we have a very diverse community now and I will list off. Here's this person you can contact. Here's their Twitter account. Here's this person. And I don't know if they ever contact those people, but like it, it does a disservice to all of us when you have a very limited representation shown to the general public. Couldn't agree more with that statement. I I live in I live in Detroit, so it's strange for me because I grew up going to, you know, UFO lectures at Black Star Books, which is an Afrocentric bookstore and all of the ufo researchers there were black and seeing that community or or going to uh the the witchcraft shops in downtown detroit which are all african-american and and seeing that there is this community there but mm -hmm. it is not shown on television big shocker there I, <laughs> I i didn't say this earlier but i i spent a couple years working in hollywood after i got out of college and did the whole pr circuit and there's been a lot of things you've said in passing on your podcast that i just like put my finger up in the air and i'm like absolutely when you talk <laughs> about how kind of limited the the scope to it is and 
Um, someone just recently, I'm sorry, I didn't even get the chance in whatever conversation this was to chime in, but they were talking about why we don't see some of these things and why, uh, you know, there's certain areas uh, in this country that just won't take to it. And one of the biggest things of feedback I heard was, yeah, you know, movies, for example, want to play to a Midwest audience. And so they will gatekeep anything they don't feel like will sell well there. So when I hear that when you're saying it, I, I have that intrinsic cringe of like, uh, is that that's probably exactly what's going on in the TV space a lot of the time is gatekeeping, keeping different racial groups out because they don't think it's going to work for their brand or whatever. Absolutely. Oh, and one quick thing, I want to yeah. go back to something Please. because you were talking about um, when I posted my silly uh, gif yes. about uh, on a know your unidentified flying objects. Uh, People did some UFO people got mad about that because, again, I was having fun and this is a serious thing that we're talking about aliens and UFOs. But the reality is, is that that meme that I posted, all of those crazy names that I gave the flying objects, those actually all come from words or sounds that were made by people who I conducted interviews with and witnesses of, of people who saw UFOs. And so, like, when it that says a do dip. Mm -hmm. Like I was interviewing someone and the, the gentleman said it kind of came down and then went back up and it did a little do dip and then it like took off. And I'm like, Oh, so when I created that chart, that's what all those are. Those are things that people have actually called UFOs. Uh, you know, a little bright light in the sky. I saw this little bright light and there's just like a little donker in the sky. And well, there you go. There's one, there's another one. It kind of looked like a Tato, I mean, that's where these <laughs> words were coming from. And people were like, this is ridiculous. We need yeah. to take it more seriously. And I'm like, but this is what witnesses have actually said. It's kind of like Michelle Bellinger told us at one point in time in one of the multitudes of times we've gotten to listen to her speak. And she talks about the fact that as human beings, we don't have the terminology to describe everything. So we have to give it a different name or give it a different description because that's the only way we can describe it. And yeah. so it's so much fun to hear those different types of names that you've attributed to these things because it makes it more personable versus clinical. And right. it's just, it brings the life back into it versus here is a nuts and bolts wonderful ufo isn't it beautiful ah uh, whereas it's like look it's a doodip i don't know what it is but it's a doodip <laughs> it got a little doodip it was a little pusher across the sky and then there and then bloop it was right there like you're absolutely right and you know if if you do want to have if if the groups at large want to have deep philosophical conversations about this stuff, then the first conversation you have when you're having a philosophical conversation is, okay, what are all these words going to mean? That way everyone's on the same page. When I, you know, when I say ghost, you're thinking about what you think a ghost is. And I'm thinking about what I think a ghost is. And so we're already off on the wrong page unless we specify what the words are that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. sometimes I start my lectures and I say, you know, how many people here think that when you die, you become a ghost? And most people will raise their hand because it's, you know, a paranormal lecture. And then I'll say, how many people here think that when you die, you become an alien? And some people will raise their hand and I'll say, how many people here think that they die and become a gnome? And everybody laughs. And then I go back and I say, but a ghost, etymologically, it, it stems from the word geist. It just means breath. Like, so the majority of you think that when you die, you just became breath. 
And, and when I asked you, do you think you become an alien? Like that's a French word. It just means one, not of this place. So when you die, you just become not of this place. And you laughed when I said gnome, but the etymological creation of the word gnome means a spirit of the earth. So the one that everybody laughed at was the one that they were actually probably thinking was the most correct, even when they were laughing, thinking it was the most incorrect. That, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Now I feel like everything I know about the paranormal is not correct. Like all the terminology is wrong. Everything is wrong. But at the same time, you're saying that there is no universal dictionary of terminology of saying here's what this is supposed to be but yet because we're not taught that in the paranormal it's like oh here's a ghost well there's 20 different definitions of what a ghost is depending on where you're from your cultural background and what it's supposed to look like and by the time you get done figuring it out you're like okay are we on the same page about this this is what it's supposed to be and then you're still wrong because it's completely (laughs) something not even a ghost it's you know a tulpa or you know it might be an angel or something else it might be something completely different to what you think it is but it can only manifest a certain way in that time period well and again i live just outside of detroit and relatively close is the city of dearborn michigan which has one of the largest arabic communities outside of the Middle East. And so I grew up investigating ghosts, but they're all called jinn. And it's this, you know, all of a sudden I'm dealing with elementals, but are they elementals? No, they're just jinn. Like, and they're under a different blanket terminology for an entire separate group. So then I see like, oh, there's, you know, been 14 haunted places in Detroit in the past, you know, 20 years. And I'm like, Shit, I've investigated 40 gin cases in the past 20 years, but those aren't getting counted as ghost cases because they're being called gin. It blows the mind. Um. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And now my brain is like, okay, so I have a million questions about gin. So, but we're not going to do that. We'll save that for a whole other show because (laughs) I can ask you like 20 questions right now about gin because my brain's just gone. Give give me one. Okay. Um, what is the difference between is a gen technically a ghost? You know, like in the basic term of what you would think a human spirit that's inhabiting this earth would be, or is it something uh, closer to? You know, you think of gen, you think of something between a cross between an elemental and a demigod. So, yes. so where the, does it sit? <laughs> so the people that I deal with and the cases that I've dealt with, and it's always been explained to me that, you know, jinn are, are different from ghosts because they were never human. They've always mm-hmm. just been jinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they exist in, in and out of this world, in this world, since they were created when this world was created and the time when we were created. But they're just an alter kind. It's like a whole other life form living alongside of us. And they're usually fine as long as you don't interfere in their lives. Uh, but, you know, if you do or you do, you move something that they didn't want moved, like they can get mad about it and carry a grudge because they're just like us. They just are kind of invisible. And in the sense of how they manifest their displeasure or pleasure 
is kind of dependent upon what type of gin they were when they were created. So if they were created uh, in a place of heat, they will use fire. And if they were created in a place near a lake, they will use water. And so they carry these elemental qualities with them. Uh, that's what I would get a lot of times when I would go to these cases is that there would be spontaneous fires breaking out into the house. And so they would say that they had a fire elemental or they would have consistent problems with the plumbing and leaks. Uh, so you get a water elemental or breezes and you couldn't keep the house, uh, you know, hot or warm. It would constantly be cold because there would be wind moving through the house. Mm -hmm. And those were all if you viewed them from a simple Judeo-Christian lens like I could say, well, that's a fire elemental, that's a poltergeist, that's a residual haunting, you're getting cold air, so it's some kind of, you know, ghost spirit that way. But when you look at it with a larger lens, you realize, oh, we just don't have words for any of this. When people go into a location to hunt a ghost and they feel cold wind and the temperature drop, they're like, oh, there's a ghost in here. But there might just be a gin annoyed with you walking around at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, wow. Literally, that just brings back so many memories of all of the ghost hunting TV shows of people who yell at ghosts. And <laughs> like now I'm just like, man, you you guys just pissed off everything wherever you went. Okay. I have never ever <laughs> understood. I have never under I've it's a with human beings, it's a very bad way to start communication with screaming in someone's face. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why you would do it with a ghost. Like, why are you <laughs> screaming in a ghost's face? That if you, you would not walk up to a bar to someone you don't know and spin them around and scream, talk to me in their face. Like, that's, <laughs> that conversation isn't going to go very well. No, you're going to get thrown, something thrown at you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then when something does get thrown at you, they're like, this thing is evil. <laughs> yes, it's a demon. <laughs> Well, oh, we're kind of towards so much. a top of an hour here, but um, I don't, I don't know if you'd have the time to go. Do you have the time to talk a little longer, John, or do you your schedule? How's that doing tonight? No, I'm good. If you can let me go and get some water, I can ah. feel my thing coming. Well, back. here's a thought. So, what we could do is put a stop in here. We like to give some extra bonus content to our our members as well, so we could put a pause in this recording, get up. But uh, I, I really want to continue off of that thread whenever we get back to ask the idea of who's haunting who because you said a second ago if you move an item that the djinn wanted somewhere and that makes me ask that question of um when we're reaching out where are we reaching to how invasive are we being or you know when when pagan and i are sitting there doing an estes method are we messing with someone else's radio somewhere else in the whatever so if you'd be up for it i'd like to ask a couple questions along that line we have a couple from our uh, our listeners that sent some in so yeah absolutely for sure lovely just i just need two minutes to run to my kitchen let's do it you go for it john okay i'll be right back to everyone that's listening we're gonna go ahead and put a break in this one i will have information mm -hmm. for you in the podcast description below uh, get a hold of all of Tenny's amazingness from Twitter to his website. Uh, What's up, weirdo? Is his current podcast that you must go listen to. You're gonna die laughing. So uh, it, that one is just a, an amazing amalgamation of life, ghost hunting, and beyond. So listen to him and Jessica chat over there. We'll put a break in this one, and we're gonna be back with some bonus content. So if you're a member up on RevelatorNetwork.com, you're gonna get this extra bit. Hey everybody, Kyle jumping in at the end to let you know. 
uh, like I was saying, we just started recording at that point for the second piece. But if you got done with this interview, go to revelatornetwork.com forward slash subscribe. That's where you can find the extra interview uh, with Tenny. We've got some from Michelle, Katie Webb, just a great group of bonus episodes up there for you. Um, you can get that at the $5 level. If you'd like to be like a super supporter and choose the 20 or above, you can even get 14 days of a free trial there to get yourself hooked up with it. So try that out. Let me know how it goes for you. I really hope you enjoy it. This was, this was just amazing. Huge thank you to John E.L. Tenney for joining us today. And listen to that other one. It's, gonna, it's so good. It's so good. This is future Kyle, so I know. I know. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye. P.S. Don't forget to subscribe here to Chaos and Shadow right now. And leave a review if you'd like. Five-star reviews. We shout them out in the show. Leave us a little nice something-something down there. Maybe compliment some of our amazing, wonderful, insightful guests. That never hurts. We would love to read that out in the show. And that's my beeping in the background saying, Kyle, you must go. Goodbye.